0: all right let's jump into this morning's message we're gonna finish up our teaching on stewardship i hope that it has challenged you and blessed you uh and today as we get started i gotta ask you this and i need you to tell me are you ready to change your mind because yes. until we change our mind we can't change nothing but when we change our mind everything can change And so as we get started in this, I got to share a little bit. Um, I love entrepreneurs. I've always embraced entrepreneurship. I never liked a man telling me how much I was worth. And so even when I was a kid, I'd jump on my bicycle and I'd pedal around my little town and I'd collect Coke bottles for 10 cents and I'd get as many as I could. I loved going, you know, when I was a kid, my town had more bars than we had churches. And in fact, we had more bars than what was legal for a town, but they'd been there so long they were grandfathered in, they couldn't close them. And the good thing about bars is people come out of them drunk, and they drop money and they drop change. So if you're the first little kid riding down Main street, man, <laughs> shundily undy. <laughs> and uh, so I've always, from the time I was a kid, just wanted to have my own thing going, and even when I had a job, I was always out trying to do something else because I just wanted. I wanted to be the master of my own destiny. You understand? And so because of that infatuation with entrepreneurship, when I get around an entrepreneur, I love to hear their stories. I will buy them lunch just to make them talk because I want to hear both their tragedies and their triumphs. What did you do that failed and what did you do that worked? And uh, because the things that have to do with business have to do with life because really your life is a business. The name of your business is Me, Inc., Right. And you got to run it right. And uh, I remember years ago, I got to sit down with a man who was a serial entrepreneur and he was very successful. He just started business after business after business and um, worth many, many millions of dollars. Uh, But that wasn't what impressed me about him. What impressed me was his absolute unchallenged devotion to God. And when I sat down with him, this was the year we started Real Life Church. I still have the notes because he made a comment about something um, he called barriers to entry. Y'all ever heard of the term barriers to entry in the church world? We call it new level, new devil. Yes. All right. And what it means is this, that every every level of life that we aspire to get to. And and I got to say this to you, because as as the church of the living God, we are called. To mobility, to constantly be moving, Where, right, We are immovable, but not immobile. And by that, I mean this. The enemy can't push us from where we are. He can't make us come down from the high tower where we call Christ. So in that sense of outward forces, we are immovable. But when it comes to the motivation and the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we are not immobile. We are always pressing on. We are moving forward. We are an unstoppable force. The gates of hell cannot stop us. They cannot prevail against us. When we encounter those barriers, we don't respect them. We break through them. And so we need to understand that as we go through life, we are called to increase. Psalm 115, I'll increase you more and more, you and your children. We are called to increase. We ought not to be afraid of increase. We need to take our five and turn it into ten, take our two, turn it into four. What we don't want to do is settle for the one. Right. Is this okay? I'm building. This ain't the sermon yet. This is just the entry level. We're not called to maintain. And please hear me when I tell you this. We are not called to manage decline. I remember I met a pastor one time, and he had a beautiful facility that would have sat about 1,500 people. And he was running maybe 100 and dropping fast. And when I spoke with him, I tried to challenge him to do some new things and reach his community. And this is what he told me. And what he was telling me is God had called him to manage decline. He said, God has called me to bury the saints. And I I instantly thought, you're justifying failure. Because you're afraid of trying anything new and you and I've got to understand God has not called us to decline He has called us to increase And I've said this to you that everything God has given you when properly used will increase But when we want to go to a new level no matter what it is, it could be financial It could be spiritual. It could be Emotional, it could be relational. It doesn't matter what area of life you're seeking to improve. You need to understand that there are barriers to entry. Now, we don't have slides for this, so I need you to pay attention and listen and write this down. There's two things you need to do if you want to increase. Number one, you've got to discern what are the barriers? What's holding me back? Because I guarantee you that the lion you had to overcome to get to the level you now occupy is not the same as the bear you're gonna have to vanquish to get to the next one. That's right. So you need to understand and to, to, to discern what's holding me back. Is it traditional thinking? Because, see, people of God, we are human, and so we have human tendencies and I've said it, you've said it, we've all said it, I've heard it ad nauseum too many times, and I I try to stop myself if ever I'm tempted to say it, but when we're faced with a new opportunity, a new uh, chance to go to another level of life, whatever that area is in, we tend to say things like, well, that would be great, but I don't have enough. And we can fill in the blank, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough information. I don't have enough experience. And by saying I don't have enough, what we're actually saying is I'm not enough. That's right. And we find the danger of that in, a, in, in Numbers 13. You remember the story very well. The children of Israel were at the entrance to the promised land. They were ready to go to another level. And they sent in some spies and the spies came back and the spies gave what the Bible calls an evil report. Do you know what the evil report was? I'm filling it build up, so this is going to be a good sermon. This is what they said. They great, we insignificant. They giants, we grasshoppers. And because of that, they were not allowed in. There were houses waiting on them, mortgage-free. And they did not occupy Why? Because they believe. Now, here, this is a phrase you're going to hear throughout today. They believe that to be insignificant was the same as being incapable. And I say to you that insignificant and incapable are two different words. That insignificant does not mean incapable. But when you believe that your insignificance means that you are incapable of advancement, of increase, of promotion, of going forward, you, like them, will shrink back to your own destruction. That's right. And listen, another thing, when you encounter barriers, please do not interpret barriers as a divine design, a divine sign from God that you're not supposed to enter. That's a religious cop-out. When you encounter a barrier and you think, well, if God wanted me to get in here, he, listen, David had to overcome a lot of things. David was a mighty man of God, but David didn't have it easy. David had to overcome a bear barrier, a lion barrier, a Goliath barrier, a brother barrier, a father barrier, a friend's barrier. David had to overcome his own mindset. Barriers are not a divine sign that God doesn't want you to enter. They are an opportunity to qualify for a higher level of living. But we need to understand that those barriers are there. Discern them and then overcome them. If the barrier is a mindset, this is the reason why I asked you, are you ready to change your mind? If the barrier is a mindset, then change your mind. Let's get started. Stewardship, part three. I want to talk about how we need to overcome the small. And I want to say this to you as we get started. We'll never, never, never live a supernatural lifestyle with a natural mindset. I want to say that again. If we want to live a supernatural life, we have to have a supernatural mindset. And the supernatural mindset factors God into every opportunity. What could I do if God was in me, for me, and with me? Right. Well, guess what? He is. Right. All right, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. We'll get started. And I'm just letting you know I did not bring my phone up here, so I got no idea what time I started, and I got no idea what time I'll end. Yeah. <laughs> Stewardship part 3. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 says, For who has despised the day of small things? This is a verse nearly everyone knows. Zerubbabel had come back home with a ragtag band of Hebrews to do something that seemed incomprehensible, and that was to rebuild Jerusalem. They in and of themselves felt insignificant. And of course, you'll always have a cheerleader section of people like Sanballat and others who will tell you, who do you think you are? What makes you think you can accomplish anything great? And then they'll tell you your mistakes and your ancestry and your lineage and your mommy and your daddy. And thank God the Bible says old things have passed away and all things have become new. So this amazingly great task was given to an amazingly small group of people who were being made to feel inferior and insignificant. And here, I want to go back just a few verses, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, another verse we all know, but this was the spirit of grace speaking to Zerubbabel and telling him how he's going to overcome insignificance. This is what he says. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Jimmy, I mean Zerubbabel, saying, you ready for this? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by your intellect, not by your understanding, and not by your human strength, but by His Spirit. And then in verse 7, reading it to you out of the Amplified, it says, I love this. For who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles? Who are you, O great mountain, who stands in my way and tells me I shall not enter, I shall not become more than who I am, I shall not steward more than what I have, and I shall not have greater responsibility in the kingdom. I was born into insignificance, and I'll die in mediocrity. And to that I say, No way, Jose. Because I may have been born into insignificance, but I promise you this, I will die in greatness. Not by might, nor by power, but by God's Spirit. See, I don't, I, I, listen, I know that some of you may rebel at what I'm saying here because we have, we have been taught by people and especially religious people to just embrace mediocrity and suffering and just settle down, calm down, stay down and die. But I got to tell you, I lived too many years believing that C-Rap. I lived too many years believing I was nothing and I could do nothing and I loved the Lord, but I dismissed all of His promises. Then there came a day when I began to wake up and read the Bible and not let other people tell me what it meant. This is where I came up with the saying, never allow limited men who have limited God to limit you by their suppositions, opinions, and judgments. Just because someone has a Ph.D. in theology don't make them smart and it most certainly doesn't make them godly. Some of them with PhDs and theologies are embracing ungodly lifestyles. Amen. Brother Hagen used to tell us PhD simply stands for post hole digger. Amen. Don't be impressed by people and their credentials. That's right. I could go online today and have a doctorate by the end of the day. Amen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Be impressed by character, not credentials. So the, the 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 voice of the Lord said, Who are you, O oh, great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a molehill. Mm. Mm. And he shall bring forth the finishing gablestone with loud shoutings of the people crying, Grace, grace to it. When you're facing an obstacle, are y'all listening this morning? do not deny the power of grace in your own ability you may not be able to overcome it it might be too much that giant might be too strong the money you have to pay might be too much but you got God I said you've got God God is with you God is in you God is for you and God can do it hmm. cry grace cry grace It's easy to look at the little we have or the small in our life and disqualify ourselves from expecting great results. It's easy, and I'm going to say this, because it requires no faith. It requires no faith to walk by sight. It requires no faith to say I can't because I'm this, I'm that, and the other thing. It's a human thing to despise small things, but it's not a kingdom thing. I want to say that again. It's a human thing to despise small things, to say I can't because this is all I've got. I I can't because I only come from a little town. I can't because my last name's not this, that, or the other. But in the kingdom, in the kingdom, size really don't matter. Put up on the screen Psalm 119, verse 141. It says this, out of the New American Standard, I am small and despised. It's human nature to look at the insignificance in our lives and use that to say this is why I can't do it. But there's something about God's method, his MO, that he uses the small to fashion the great. Did you hear what I just said? There's something about God's method. He never starts big. He just never does. I know we wish he did. Listen, I wish he would have started RLC with 20,000 people. Then through my lack of leadership, I could have whittled it down. But God never starts there. God always starts with a seed. He starts with something small. This is the reason why it's called the word of knowledge, not the novel of knowledge. It's God, when you have a prophetic utterance, he gives you a word, and you've got to step out in faith in it. It's the walk of faith. God always starts out with something small. And one scholar said the reason he does that, God has this M.O. because it promotes humility. Because we know that within ourselves we never could have done that but for God. This is all we had to start with, but for God. All I had was an idea, but for God. Listen, as we aspire to become greater stewards, don't despise what you have. Use what you have. If you only got one talent, employ it. When Moses tried to disqualify himself from God's task, God asked him, What was in his hand? You find this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. The Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he responded, A staff. A staff is nothing but a stick, man. What is a stick? When God's asking you to go toe to toe with the greatest nation on the planet? When you got to go stand in the court of a man God? And all you got's a stick? Are y'all listening to me? What you got in your hand? I got a stick. Overcome a kingdom. A stick, hear me when I say this. A stick is insignificant, but not incapable. A stick is insignificant, but not incapable. You You may be insignificant when compared to what is facing you, what you have to overcome. But please hear my words when I say insignificant does not mean incapable. When David stood before Goliath. He was despised by not only Goliath, but by his own brothers. What did he have? He had a sling and a stone. That's all he had. Listen to this. God never asked you to produce from what you don't possess. But God always asked you to produce from what you do possess. And let's not forget about a guy named Gideon. When the angel came and found Gideon, he greeted him, oh mighty valiant warrior, mighty man of battle. Where was Gideon? Hiding. And what did Gideon say? Who, me? I'm the least member of the least family. Of the least tribe. I'm the smallest of the small. I'm insignificant. But hear me, child of God, when I tell you this. In the kingdom of God, insignificant does not mean incapable. You can do it. All you got to do is pick up the stone, grab the stick, come out from hiding, say, this is all I got. But I'm going to use it. I'm going to kill me some giants. I'm going to knock down some kingdoms. I'm going to run over some walls. Mm. I don't know if this is helping anyone else, but I'm preaching to myself. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Listen to this. He told them, this is the master speaking, it was because of your lack of faith. Everyone say lack. Lack means absence of faith. Absence, it's gone, it's not there. Understand this, it's not the size of your faith. I've had people say, well, pastor, I'm not a faith giant. So, do you have faith? Well, yes. Well, then you can do it. It was because of your lack of faith. I promise you, If you have faith inside of you no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed. Small. I'm so grateful God doesn't require perfection of us. If all you got is a little. Mm. He says you can say to this mountain. And I'm going to put in here of human obstacles. Move away from here and go over there and you will see it move. Now, who says it? You say it. Who sees it? You see it. If you don't say it, you ain't going to see it. And it don't matter what I say. It's what will you say. You can say to this mountain, move away from here and go over there, and you will see it move. There is nothing you couldn't do. Is that based upon great faith? No, it's based upon small mustard seed faith. I'm preaching myself happy. This is my happy dance. He said it was a lack of faith that made it impossible. Lack of faith. Because even if what you got inside of you is as small as a mustard seed, you can say, you can see, and there's nothing you couldn't do. Hmm. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. No wonder D.L. Moody made a, uh, a quote. He said, the people of God ought to expect great things from God. The people of God ought to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. You and I were not born to mediocrity. Don't let the devil keep you there. It's easy to look at the little we have or the small in our life and disqualify ourselves from expecting great results. As I said earlier, it's easy because it requires no faith. But small faith can stimulate the faith of millions. Small faith can move mountains. Small faith can heal the sick. Small faith can give sight back to the blind. Amen. Small faith can redeem people from darkness. All it takes is small faith. Amen. Look at this. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 12, verse 42, you've heard this story before. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Were they big? No, they were small. And the two small copper coins make a penny. But her story not only moved the master, her story has moved millions of people over the centuries into a place of faith. Because they've said, if she could do this with only two small coins, that's all I've got to. I wish somebody was listening to me this morning. Then there's another story, and I like this one in John chapter 6, verse 9. There is a little boy. Everyone say, little boy. There's a little boy here who has with him five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, see, I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit puts everything in there on purpose. There's a reason why he wanted us to know this was a little boy. And I'm going to tell you why I believe the Holy Spirit said he's a little boy. I'm going to tell you why I believe he's a little boy. He's a little boy with two small fishies. But we all know the story that when that... Small lunch from that little boy was sown into the master. It fed thousands. Somewhere around 15,000 people considered, 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, we know that when that was all done, there were 12 baskets heaping over with barley loaves and fishes. Now, this is where I'm going to give you what I believe happened. The Bible doesn't say it, but who do you think went home with the 12 baskets? It had to be the little boy. He's the one that sowed the seed. He's going to receive the harvest. Now, let me ask you this. How does a little, and this is why. I, <clears throat> why did the Holy Spirit tell me he was a little boy, not a great big muscle bound man? How's a little boy going to carry home 12 baskets heaping with food? Now we know, listen, this was a lesson for the disciples more than anyone else. Because there's another place in the scripture when the Lord says, do you not remember? When with that little boy's lunch, we fed, I fed the 5,000. The Lord was trying to get the disciples to get over small thinking and impossibility thinking. So here's what I believe happened. 12 disciples, 12 baskets. Each one of them, grab a basket, follow that boy home. And every step of the way, understand, insignificance does not equate to incapable. Insignificant does not mean incapable. Every step of the way, you're looking at the basket, you're sweating, you're carrying it, and you're going, how did I get stuck with this job? Every step of the way, the Lord is whispering in your ear, whatever you put into my hands, I'll multiply And I believe that little boy showed up at home and said, hey, mom, we got company. (laughs) Because he was the one that sowed the seed. It's only kingdom that he would go home with the harvest. Is this okay this morning? Insignificant does not mean incapable. Listen, when confronted with the barriers of life, bills that need to be paid, pain in the body or battles that seem lost. It's easy, almost normal, to feel insignificant. But with the grace of God in our lives, we are never incapable. That's right, I mean Say out loud, insignificant, insignificant. but not incapable. But not incapable. <clears throat> mm. It's not what we lack that precludes us from doing great things in life. It's easy to look at what we lack. Well, pastor, if I just had a million dollars, I no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, because you ain't doing it now. If only I had this, if only I had that. Well, if I was six foot four and could dunk a basketball, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be making millions on the court, but you know what? I can't, and I ain't. But what I do have is His. It's not what we lack that precludes us from doing great things in life. It's how we use or fail to use what we do have. Mm. Living by faith means living beyond the limits. And in order for you and I to become more than who we are, to become the people God has dreamed of, we need to learn to live beyond the natural limits. We need to learn how to overcome barriers to entry. Because God's called you to a higher level. He's called you to a new place. That's right. Now this process, listen, the, the Bible, the structure is this. We find it in the book of Genesis. The Bible says as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed, time, and harvest. As long as the earth remains, this is the process. You start small, but everything great, the largest tree on the planet came from a seed. The greatest enterprises started as ideas. Y'all ever heard of Apple computer? It's got more money than most nations. It started as an idea. It was launched in a garage. Y'all ever heard of Amazon? An idea, garage. There must be something about a garage. Every great thing starts as something small as long as you and I learn not to judge the end by the beginning. Don't look at where you start from. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, after all, the Messiah should have been born in Jerusalem. Can anything great come from a place of such insignificance? In Christ? Absolutely. Is this okay this morning? Every great thing has come from something small. This process will remain as long as the earth remains. Listen to this. In art, there's only three colors. That's all there is. In the whole world of art, there's three colors. Every masterpiece, every painted, every sunrise you've ever been impressed with, all comes from three colors. That's insignificant but not incapable. In the world of music, I've read, I have no way of proving this because I ain't musical, but I've read it, I Googled it, it's got to be true. That in the world of music, there's seven notes, just seven. But everything from Motown to classical has come from seven notes. That's insignificant, but not incapable of producing greatness. In the world of architecture, every building ever built comes from three basic designs, just three. Do you see how this is God's MO? I'll give you three designs, build greatness. There's the circle, the square, and the triangle, that's it. But from that comes everything. Is this okay? Limitations are never limiting for the creative. And if any group of people ought to be creative, it ought to be those of us who have the creator on the inside. But see, I'm I'm firmly convinced that religion has just convinced us to settle down and wait for death. But the kingdom is always compelling us. Forget about those things that are behind you. Put little value on your trophies and your pains and press on to greater things so that you can obtain that for what you've been grabbed hold of, that you can apprehend that for what you have been apprehended. Mm. No matter what limitations life has handed you, if you are faith filled, you can make. Now, hear me when I say this. God's dreams come true. You and I were created to be creative. Creativity is essential to the God kind of life. The life you were designed for. I read this quote and I liked it. It said the only limits you have are the limits you believe. They labeled you and you believe the lie. They said this is all you can ever be because of your gender, your race, where you come from, your economics. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Man, I was born with spit in mine. And so were they. (laughs) Great results from small beginnings. Why did the steward, when we first started this series, we talked about the three stewards, why did the one steward fail to produce? Because he was afraid. He was afraid. He held a misconception of the Lord, and his fear of making a mistake paralyzed him. To live a steward's life, you and I need to lose our fear of being wrong. Lose our fear of success. Lose our fear of increase. Because once again, listen, some of us, we're, we're just afraid of being labeled prosperity people. I told you last week, it's not a prosperity message, not if it's properly preached. It's a responsibility message. Because to whom much is given... Much is required. But I don't want to shrink back. Because you know what the Bible says if we shrink back? It says he has no pleasure in us. He has no pleasure in us if we shrink back. Shrink back from what? Shrink back from the barriers of life. The barriers of entry. That if God wanted me to be that, he would have made it easier. You won't find that in the Bible. I wonder how many times David would have said, I wish this was easier. Or Isaiah. Or Isaiah. <laughs> or Moses or Abraham man maybe even Jesus no challenges do not mean it's not God because see listen the barriers that block other people serve to disqualify them because in fear they shrink back and they're not shrinking back to the blessing they're shrinking back to their own destruction That's what they're shrinking back to. But for those of us who are unafraid because we know the goodness of God and we know that God is with us and we know that God is for us and we know that God is no longer angry with us, when we see a barrier, we stop and we pause, not out of respect. No. I don't respect barriers. But I stop and I listen to the Spirit on the inside. And I ask the Lord, what is this that's holding me back? And I don't know about you, most of the time for me it's a mindset. That's Most of the time God deals with my thinking. And once I know what it is, then I pray for grace on how to overcome it. Amen. And once you've overcome it, then you gain entry into another level of life. And you're there for a little while. And then God calls you to grow again. And the mantra of your life becomes, here we are. Grow again. And growth always requires pain because it brings about change. And all change involves conflict. And it's a non-ending thing between the conflict of those who want to stay on this side of Jordan and the conflict of those who want to go on to bigger things. And conflict with yourself because you're thinking, shouldn't I be satisfied with this? And God's like, no. That's right. You ain't dead. Amen. <laughs> And so then the question comes, do we please men or do we please God? Mm. And if we please God, we got to grow again. I just want to read this. I I wrote this and I'll read this in closing. I believe this with all my heart. Every man has success hidden away in his soul. No one else can find it but himself. He holds the key to the hidden room. Mm -hmm. Failure comes because we believe the lies. We were told we couldn't, and so we didn't. And this is, I mean, when I'm, as I'm reading this, this was my life. I honestly believe no one loved me. No one wanted me. I wasn't, and I'm not trying to draw sympathy from you, but this is why when I was 18, my greatest ambition was to make it to the Mardi Gras and take enough drugs to die. Because my life was never going to be anything because I was born and abandoned. But every man has success in his soul. Because God never created failures. Those are man-made things. God gives you a seed and then asks you to have the faith enough to plant it. We were made to feel insignificant, so we thought that meant we were incapable. We avoided the giants because we honestly believed we were the grasshoppers. We never sought the hidden treasure, and so we never found it. Failure comes because we tried to find it somewhere else, tried to find it by being someone else. But you can't find it anywhere else. Your success is not in imitating them. Your success is found in being who God called you to be. Amen. Amen. Not by surrendering your identity for the security of conformity. But by standing up and saying, God made me. I'm going to be the best me I can for His glory. Amen. I know one young man who's constant conflict in life, he is, he's anointed for business. He's just anointed for it. He makes more money by accident than most people do on purpose, and yet he's always trying to be a minister because somewhere someone got to him and whispered in his ear, if you really want to please God, you got to be this. And so he's constantly... Struggling with being successful because he's trying to be successful wearing someone else's shoes. God did not do you an injustice by making you you. God made you precious by making you you. The the you that God dreams of, when he dreams of you, he don't see me. He sees you perfected and glorified, but you. God did you right by making you you. You do Him an honor by becoming you. Does that make sense? The glory of a thing is in the potential of a thing. What do you mean by that? I I think I shared this with you before, but I'll say it again, because you just want to hear it. I know you want to hear it. (laughs) One day, years ago, my wife and I were down in the Keys with her parents. And have you ever heard a Macaw? You know, those big big birds I've only ever seen them in cages but man they're loud one day I heard this macaw and it was just like doing its thing and I couldn't find it and I looked up in the sky and there was a macaw flying with its wing I'd only ever seen them in cages and this one was flying with its tail feathers out and its wings spread and I remember looking up and going that is amazing and Judy told me one had escaped a couple of years before and they never can catch it. And I thought that bird was not created for a cage, (laughs) which is why it don't want to get caught (laughs) because they're going to try to put it back in a cage. And, And I thought the glory of the macaw is not its cries when it's in a cage. I was seeing the glory of a macaw for the first time because it was doing what it was created to do. And then if you ever see a rose when it opens up, people say, now that's glorious. They never say that when it dies on the vine still a bud. It's only when it opens up and it displays all of its petals and its fragrance for the world, people say, ain't that glorious? Why? Because the glory of a thing is hidden in the purpose of a thing. And when that, Jesus said, I've glorified you, not in the miracles, but in doing what you sent me to do. You and I want to glorify God. You don't glorify God by dying a mimic of someone else. You glorify God by blossoming and blooming and being who God created you to be. You're stewarding. This is. You don't think I lost my way. You're stewarding your time, your talents, and your treasure, and you become who God called you to be. Listen, success... Victory and achievement are all inside of you. The exceptional people are those who develop what is within them. There's a gold mine hidden in every single life. One author wrote a book and said, there's a gold mine in you. Can you dig it? <laughs> <laughs> Limitations can only be true as long as we believe in them. That's right. Believe in the goodness of Jesus Christ instead. Yeah. And amazing things will happen. Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a shout, Jackie. If you would come forward, Hallelujah, Father. I want you and I. I don't know what song Jackie's going to sing. I know it'll be good. But here's what I want us. Whatever the words are to the song, I want you and I in our spirits to say down. Say, I'm laying down the limitations. I'm laying down the small thinking. I'm embracing the bigger, brighter, better life that you have for me. And I want you to to make a vow to God that before you draw your last breath and you enter into the next realm, you will have done everything he created you to do. If he's put a book inside you, write it. If He's put a song inside of you, sing it. If He put a business in you, develop it. Steward it. But don't die with the song unsung, the book unwritten, the business still sitting on a page. Can you and I make that vow together that to His glory we will be everything He created us to be? And like Joshua of old, when we leave this planet, we'll be able to say not one dream, not one vision, not one promise of God was left unfulfilled. But I go to the next knowing that in this life I accomplished what you said. I ran my race well. I finished my course. Let's make that commitment. And then let's see what God will do. Snapchat. not I don't know who this is for, maybe more than just one, but I hear the Spirit of grace saying, for you indeed did make a mistake, but unlike me, you have stayed at that point. I've already moved on. I've let it go. Now is the time for you to catch up to me. Catch up to me. Let it go. Dislodge it from your own soul. I have never defined you by that low point in your life. I have always called you who you are in Christ. So for someone in here, you've lived not for months, but for years, Unable to move past a mistake you made in life. And it was something that marked your soul. I have an idea what I think it is, but I don't want to say it. The Lord's dealing with you've not been able to let go of the pain of the abortion. And you never thought you could move past that. And you've defined yourself, not outwardly. Oh, outwardly you wear a smile. But on the inside, you wear a scar. I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward, but I want everyone in here. Because maybe that's not your point of pain. Maybe your tragedy is something altogether different. But it's had the same result. It's held you hostage to a moment in time that is gone. And the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, catch up. Drop it, let it go. Catch up, come running home again. We can play catch up and he'll help us. We'll get there quickly. So, as Jackie sings that song again, I, I just want each and every one of us to let go of the pain. Let go of the pain. You're not done with me
1: yet. You're not done with me yet. You're not done with
0: ask you again as we close I'm gonna let you go are you prepared to change your mind to quit thinking that you're somehow disqualified to quit thinking that God's angry with you and he judges you by that low point in your life that you're insignificant and are you willing to look in the mirror and see a brand new image of someone who is loved of God, anointed by the Spirit of God, and who is more than capable to set a whole new standard that your children's children will be blessed by. Because after all, who are you to limit what God can do? Let go of that thinking and increase it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Give someone around you a high five, tell the Lord you love them, and then you're blessed to go in Jesus' name.